Welcome to the X-Men Test Podcast. My name is Willie. And I'm Sonia. And this is episode 10, Come the Apocalypse. So this is a crazy episode, and by crazy I mean crazy good. I really enjoyed rewatching this. Uh, it basically picks up right where we left off in the last episode, which, uh, for a quick recap... Um, the last episode ends with Rogue deciding she wants to stay a mutant, and uh, Angel, uh, Warren Worthington III, uh, he's going to go for Dr. Adler's cure. Now, we know that Dr. Adler is Mystique in disguise, and Mystique is working for Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And in this episode, we really uh, get a little bit more intimate with the character of Apocalypse. Um, unsettlingly. Unsettlingly. <laughs> he says a lot of insane things in this episode, but interesting things because we really learn what his motivation is. Um, so anyway, the episode starts with uh, Angel flying in. Uh, he gets strapped into this horrible machine, and right as he's about to be transformed, uh, Dr. Adler reveals herself as Mystique. Right, which I really didn't understand. Like, she straps him into the machine... And she starts, like, the the laser beam sequence or whatever, right? And, like, that's when she chooses to transform back into Mystique. And, like, you see the look of surprise on his face. Mm-hmm. What? Well, <laughs> like, that's just, I mean... But, like, it, it's why? Good, <laughs> it's know? good you don't understand, because that's, like, a really evil thing to do to somebody. Right. <laughs> that's totally terrifying. Um, and then Apocalypse himself comes out of the shadows, and he's talking with Mystique. He's very pleased about the situation. And he says one of his first of many uh, creepy lines in this episode. He says, I want to hear the cries of a future being born. And then Angel starts screaming in horrible pain. Right. Um, They zoom out on, like, the the laboratory and the sheets of rain are coming down. You just hear him screaming. Yeah. So it's, you know, Apocalypse... presents himself as quite the terrifying uh, being. And it's interesting also because when he comes into the laboratory as Mystique is starting that transformation process with that big machine, uh-huh. like it's like a split second, but you see her like look up and like see him standing there yeah. and she's like surprised to see yeah. him but you see this like look of terror <laughs> pass over her face yeah. and it's like yeah really quick but you see the power dynamic there yes. right away and that's the theme that I think will reprise itself as this episode goes on mm-hmm. um, but uh, so as Angel's being horribly uh, transformed in the rain at this laboratory um, we cut back to the X-Men who haven't gone home right away which I thought was kind of funny normally when they're done with the mission they just hop on their plane and assume it's like back in the, yeah, the but, Blackbird yeah, yeah here they're hanging out on Muir Island maybe the, the Blackbird needs more gas or something <laughs> so they're in that mutant bar again from the last episode the reason there's mutants in this bar is because they've all gathered over the rumors that Dr. Adler can cure mutancy. I think that's why the X-Men haven't gone home yet, is oh, really? because I think they know that there's unfinished business there. Yeah, there's right. like this, this is a huge deal in the history of mutant stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah, so there's... But now, compared to the last of the last episode, there's even more clamoring for this cure. Mm-hmm. So mutants around the world are really getting uh, uh, wind of this, and um, which includes uh, mutants, some mutants we've already met. Um, right, some of the Morlocks are Yeah, some are of the there. Morlocks are there. Um, uh, specifically Who knows how they Pestilence. got plain fare 
<laughs> well, they Scotland. Well, you know, I mean, they could have. Uh, they've got mutant powers, so their ability to get money, either legally or illegally, yeah. might be not too hard for them. Okay. Um, uh, so specifically from the Morlocks, we see pestilence, the sort of like middle-aged woman. Um, and I, I don't know. It's uh, to me, I, I really liked this like random gathering of mutants in this bar uh, because some of them just are dressed in regular clothing mm-hmm. and some of them are wearing like crazy x-men outfits mm-hmm. you know like neon colored body armor and stuff mm-hmm. and you wonder if that's because that helps control their mutant powers or if they were superheroes in another country or mm-hmm. something <laughs> right <laughs> so but then there's like a mix of just mutants wearing you know jeans and like a button-up shirt mm-hmm. the guy who later becomes war is he's got like a bowl cut and just yeah. like a button-up shirt um so it's a nice mix, and uh, the X-Men are trying to, like, scope out the scene. And it's at this point that uh, Angel busts into the bar without his wings, and he's proclaiming that the cure works. And this pronouncement really causes a stir with all the, uh, the mutants in the bar. Mm. Uh, uh, they're desperate for this cure. And, I, I mean, I like this moment because it just shows... In this X-Men universe, how mutants, the oppression, the shame, the <laughs> the terrible destructiveness of some of their powers, it's mm-hmm. just like driving these people crazy, and they're just desperate for help and a cure. Yeah, but I also like that it, like, it spurs this conversation among the X-Men themselves, because they're yeah. sitting at a booth in the bar, and they start talking about how, you know... Like all these, they feel bad for all these people that don't really have a place to go and like feel secure and cared for. Why, and... why don't they invite them to the X Mansion? Yeah. <laughs> they could be X. Right. Okay. So that's like one part of <laughs> why, it. Why know? is Professor but... X not like offering up a, a well there's different a... solution to these people? They have an ideological difference, and I know, like, but he could say like, listen, he really like, house but... like a hundred extra mutants. Yeah, that, that house is big. Yeah. Okay. He's I don't got know. he's got an underground like lair that has holographs in the mountains like he owns a lot of real estate okay. <laughs> but i mean i think what i what i also like about this is that it's you know they're talking about mutants which right. is totally like not realistic but it's also um kind of a th- there's parallels with the real world mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. This is how, like, a lot of kids and teenagers feel. Right. Like, they wish they could change something about themselves. Whatever they are is not good enough. There's something wrong with them. Yeah. And then there's the other side of it when they do have a sense of community, whether it's family or yeah. a group of friends or whatever, where they feel at home and it's okay for them to be See, a little bit weird. And That's why I think it's weird that Professor X doesn't speak up in this moment and, and offer an alternative. Mm-hmm. What happens in this moment is that Cyclops challenges Angel to a fight, more or less. Yeah. Uh, uh, Angel, who's secretly Mystique, so it's all con. But anyway, he's like, look me in the eye and tell me that, in in reference to Cyclops saying that, you know, mutants should just be happy with who they are. Uh And Cyclops is ready to destroy this guy, which I think is funny because it's not just Wolverine, but, like, all the X-Men have itchy trigger fingers when it comes to using their powers in public. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So, like, Cyclops has got a huge temper, too. Um, but, you know, it's like, like I said, like, Professor X is like a prophet 
in the world of mutants. You know, he's a famous guy that's been established in the show, too, I think. Well, maybe not just quite I don't think yet. he's so famous. It's just that he's rich, right? Well, he's rich, but, you know, in, in, in like, an episode or two later, they're going to show that he goes to Congress, he testifies. Yeah. Okay. So, like, the point is, like, he's well-known. You know, uh-huh. he's a professor, uh, uh, and he's got immense power himself. It's just, like, kind of surprising that he... This is a like a moment that is like meant for Professor X. Like this is how he might recruit mutants to his cause, mm. and he does nothing. He just lets the X Men almost get into a fight. Or actually, that's not true. He's kind of even more passive in that moment. Doesn't he say something like, "We have to let each mutant decide what they want to do," and Rogue kind yeah. of agrees with him? Right. Well, that's the thing is that you know again like ideological differences. He's right. up against this like mob of mutants that are not on the same page as him, yeah. and he recognizes that they each have to come to their own decision and. It it's kind of in line with what we were saying about how, like, he's powerful. He could just, like, invade everyone's mind and, like, brainwash them. But because he's benevolent, he doesn't do that. He allows people to yeah, but like, he, think for themselves. St- you'd still think that he might evangelize a little bit. Because mm-hmm. and we see in the coming scenes that Apocalypse is really all about evangelizing. Yeah. Everything he says are like the words of a demented preacher from hell. Uh-huh. Um, so it's, it's at this point where uh, it's revealed that, uh, you know, Warren Worthington is no more. He's now Archangel. And I just want to talk about Archangel really quick because mm-hmm. I think uh, this is like the 90s Archangel. And I think it's just an awesome character look. Yeah. So basically he's got this like sky blue and pink spandex outfit with weird... Like the metal wings, with well, yeah, with metal wings. His his feather wings are gone now. He's got like metallic wings, mm-hmm. uh, and he's got these like cool patterns on his outfit. And his face paint is crazy. Well, it's not face paint. He's actually his skin turns blue. But so, it's he's got these like. Well, his hair is still yellow. His hair is still yellow, but like the the patterns on his face are very like theatrical. Right, but that's actually part of his mask. Okay, so it's like he can take that part off, and he'll have like his yellow hair underneath. Yeah, yeah. So the the treatment, whatever, has turned his skin blue. Like maybe it's like drains of blood or something. Mm. Um, and uh, and he's got these big metallic wings now that can shoot these like poisonous metallic arrows that are seemingly of unlimited supply. I don't know how he regenerates them. Right. It seems like that's one of those like Spider-Man things where it's yeah. like, is oh, it yeah. a cartridge or is yeah. it like part of? Is it something that his body manufactures at this I, point? I think they're just like I think they're just feathers. They're metallic feathers that grow much like his wings might have grown feathers. Yeah. So that's kind of like bizarre and weird to think about. But yeah. the wings are awesome. I, I remember loving this character as a kid in the yeah, comic books. Um, you know, he can. They say I think he can fly like faster than the speed of sound he can break the sound barrier with the metal wings which always fascinated me Mm. um and you know as a kid i i was at like a garage sale and i saw the first issue where he's transformed into archangel Mm -hmm. it's like from an x-factor comic i forget which number like maybe 15 or something i don't know i should remember but i bought this comic for like 15 dollars, and i thought i like really got a deal that i you know, first of all, that I hoodwinked the people selling the comic, and this was a historic comic, the first appearance of Archangel, oh my god, uh-huh. you know, it was, like, so amazing, and then, uh, to this day, I still think it's worth, like, $15, <laughs> <laughs> nobody cared about it as much as I did, so that was, like, my first and only entry into the world of speculative uh, historic comic book buying. Well, it's still a good read. Yeah, so. yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> um and and so like I said, evangelizing. So we Apocalypse, you know, Archangel is revealed, he's 
totally brainwashed into being a slave of Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. The machine worked. And so Apocalypse has some like totally insane lines where he explains this philosophy. Um, he, he says he wants to build a new world in fire and blood, and that the evil of human and mutant must be cut away, and that essentially he wants to rebuild a better world from the ashes of this old one. Mm-hmm. And then I have even more like insane lines of his that I just think are really interesting to just like imagine trying to see where he comes from. Um, he says that uh, the meek and afraid uh, shall be smashed, and I am apocalypse, look upon the future and tremble. <laughs> He's so, like, theatrical. Yeah. Well, actually, we that's kind of the thing here, is that, like, we meet apocalypse and we hear him talk in, like, all these really insane ways. Yeah. We don't really know... Like his backstory yet? Right. No, that's not we revealed don't know, for like, a long time. I think in like maybe even the fifth season they get to his backstory. Right, and everything he's saying is kind of cryptic and like I don't know, like some kind of contorted biblical type of language. Yeah. But like we don't really know what he means. I, but that's so crazy. And then he ha- here's another line that I thought was amazing. He says, he says, uh, each generation has cried out for a new world, but builds the old one, corrupt and weak. And that's like. True, <laughs> you know, and from a philosophical perspective and a sociological historical perspective, that's the history of humanity. That the new generation uh, wants change generally, and and wants to to make something new and something their own. Maybe not change, but like inherit the world in a new way. Mm-hmm. But really, what they do is they repeat the old world, and it's just like an endless cycle of of the same thing but with like different clothing and you know I guess there's steady progress of technology but not always because there's the dark ages sometimes you know <laughs> like, yeah like sometimes humanity stagnates in that direction in science but yeah but I mean still like you don't really know what he's saying when he says that it's like okay fine it's true it's right. like a historical trend whatever but like what is he getting at like what's he gonna do next well he's he, his plan is to completely completely wipe away everything and everyone he mentions at some point he wants to get rid of the the systems that control everything and mm-hmm. just start over right so and like rebuild the world from ash right uh, a better one right he's not specific about what that means yeah I, I mean he is a little bit it's like super fascist he says something that what like I said before when he wants the the meek uh, and the weak to be smashed. Uh-huh. He wants only stro- like super strong beings to emerge, and he doesn't care if they're human or mutant. It's just like a he wants like a new breed of strength or something, mm-hmm. and that's essentially like the tenant of uh, Nazi ideology is that they wanted they believed the weak needed to be crushed so that only the strong could survive. Right, like a like a like a demented Darwinism or something. Yeah, I mean, one way or another, you definitely come away with an understanding that he's evil and what he's doing is, like, not uh, in line with Professor X's... Oh, no. He's, like, like on uh, a whole level of madness. Yeah. And Professor X says that himself in a later scene. He says this is not like Magneto where you could reason with the guy or have an argument, you know. Um, Apocalypse, he says, is like a mutant driven insane by his own powers and so powerful that he could see it through. Right. And that he must be stopped at all costs, which is scary. Right, and like they, you know, Professor X has to kind of give that speech to justify what happens next because then he basically sends the X Men to go destroy Apocalypse and his horsemen, or at least stop them. Well, yeah, completely stop them. But and also, it's a huge disaster what's happening. Yeah. So Apocalypse uh, is now in Paris, 
and he he uh, crashes this Paris peace conference that's going on, and he announces all these things where. Another one of his insane lines, he says, Fools, you bleat for the future like a herd of sheep. I will show you the future. <laughs> or something, you know, like... Yeah. He says, or that's where he introduces himself. He's like, I am Apocalypse. Look upon me. Look upon the future and tremble. And that's where he unleashes the four horsemen. And um, so the four horsemen are these people that we met at the bar. So there's War, the bowl cut guy, mm-hmm. and his power is seemingly to like clap his hands together and green laser beams pop out. So, you know, I mean, not too crazy. <laughs> he didn't give him that much power. I mean, that's the power of Cyclops. That's not the only thing that he does, though, because... Oh, yeah? Yeah, then, like, they show that there's, like, some missiles being launched. Oh, right, and he And he, like, him. well, he makes that same movement. He puts, right. like, his the palms of his hands together over yeah. his head and some, like, light right. shines, but then, like... The result is that all the missiles yeah. get like diverted. They turn back around and maybe that's back. Maybe that's back. like Storm's power, where she could reprogram missiles with her electricity. Right. <laughs> it's like something's going on with mutants being able to control missiles with their powers. A little bit of fuzzy science. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's war. Uh, and then there's Pestilence, who is one of the Morlocks, and she's like on top of she. I don't think she gets new powers. She's got the same thing we saw in the Morlock episode where she just touches people and they get sick. But now she can fly. Yeah, well, she has a... They all have flying robot horses, yeah. which are it's really cool robot flying horse technology. <laughs> <laughs> that is they, pretty they're cool. not seemingly propelled by anything. There's no wings. There's no rockets on them. Right. They just sort of... They look, just fly. Yeah, they're really awesome. <laughs> but uh, the difference is that she's given a makeover too. She's not like a dumpy old woman. Now she's got like a sort of a slicker, like, neon face and yeah. more interesting hair. Like a spandex red outfit. Yeah, she looks like she's in better shape. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's also the one more uh, horseman is uh, Famine. This, she was like an old, sad woman at the bar, too, who can... She, in the bar, we saw her just, like, touch a flower and it dies. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess now her power is that, like, she flies over some peasants in a village and she casts her, like, her electricity or whatever, or her fog of famine, and they immediately lose all their weight and they're starving. And that's like a really terrifying power to cause famine. Yeah. <laughs> in general. <laughs> and the the last horseman is Archangel, who we've been introduced to, but his other name is Death, which is uh, ripped from the pages of the Bible, too. <laughs> so, right. uh, And so what's going on in this scene is it's the Paris Peace Conference and... Uh, the four horsemen are causing massive terrorism at this event. We see pestilence give these poor French soldiers the plague. Uh, we see uh, Ward shooting laser beams at them. Uh, at one point, the Eiffel Tower gets exploded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's one national uh, landmark destroyed already by Apocalypse. It's kind of sad. I mean, we don't see if it gets destroyed. I think we see like a helicopter fly into it, and there's a huge explosion, and the, and the tower begins to bend, but they cut away from it really fast. Mm-hmm. But that that's a huge moment. That's To blow up the Eiffel Tower, it's not quite 9-11, because there's not people in it, but it's as terrifying an image. Yeah. So Apocalypse is really causing massive, scary terrorism. Hmm. Oh, and then we see some of Apocalypse's powers, too. So his power, his powers are totally insane. He he's a shapeshifter like Mystique, but can also transform his body or his suit uh, into like 
shields and to and to other sort of shapes to like crush people like sledgehammers mm-hmm. and he can grow he can in size, size yeah, yeah. And like really large uh and he can also um i don't know he can like make himself disappear at moments too right his powers are kind of like all over the place yep and we see just dangerous. like a little sampling of that yeah a little sampling and um you know the x-men arrive in paris uh to fight the horsemen and, um, you know, the first horseman they take out is Pestilence. And to me, it looks like they killed her. You know, like you hinted at before that Professor X is like, they must be stopped at all costs. Mm-hmm. What they do is Storm creates a cloud so Pestilence can't see. She's flying very high in the sky on her horse. Cyclops shoots her. She falls like... 200 feet, lands on a metal bus. Right. Like, laid out on her back. Yeah. And they're like, alright, she's out of commission for a little bit, and like... It turns out she's alive, because Archangel then saves her. Yeah. But I, I don't know how she survived that, unless Apocalypse made her super strong, too. So, I, to me, that was like, the X-Men like are trying to kill these people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and then what else happens? Uh... Uh, but meanwhile, Rogue is on her own mission. She's trying to figure out what's going on at Muir Island with Dr. Adler. And it's there she finally discovers that uh, Adler is Mystique. And um, Mystique explains that, like, oh, I had to do what Apocalypse was going to kill me. But then she kind of... The tables turn against mm-hmm. Rogue. And, you know, Mystique shoots Rogue in the back. And as she's escaping, she explains to Rogue... No, I'm actually way down with Apocalypse. Uh, he's the future. No one can stop him. Yeah, so I, I well, can't tell if like if like her whole like humanity about the situation is like, oh, he captured me. He was going to kill me, or if she actually is like into his, you know. Theory. I think she is just trying to survive. I mm. don't think she like cares one way or another. Really, right? It's just that like. First, Apocalypse threatens her life, so she's on his side, and then Rogue threatens her life, so she, like, gives Rogue what she wants to know, and then, like, Rogue sets her free again. Right. But, like, ultimately, Apocalypse is a bigger danger to her than Rogue is, so, like, she changes, like, her tune a little bit again. But I don't, I don't think she's ever pretending to be on the side of the X-Men. I she's, think she's, she's on just, her own like, side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's got her own weird agenda. Um, and Mystique's an interesting character because, like Wolverine... Her powers have allowed her to live way longer of a human lifespan. Yeah. I think she's like 150 years old or something. You know, she doesn't age. Mm -hmm. And she's got a super insane complex backstory in the X universe. Mm. You know, I mean, she's... I think she's secretly Nightcrawler's mother. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. I I mean, she's also... You know, it'll be revealed in a future episode, spoilers, that... Rogue and Mystique have a very deep backstory themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot going on with Mystique. So she's like her own force yeah. of nature. She, you know, and it's it's just weird because sometimes she's the stooge of a various villain, be it Apocalypse or Magneto. Not so much Magneto on this show, but in the movies. Mm-hmm. But then there's other times where she's off, like on her own adventures. Yeah. Um, so you know, Mystique is an interesting character. And uh, but she does let slip that Apocalypse's secret base is underneath Stonehenge, <laughs> <laughs> and like the Eiffel Tower, Stonehenge gets destroyed in this episode. <laughs> so this is like some pretty big news in the X Men world that yeah. like in one weekend, Eiffel Tower, Paris is attacked. There's famine in the countryside because famine's all flying off, giving peasants famine. Uh, uh, the Eiffel Tower is destroyed. Uh, soldiers are getting the plague. 
the whole French army has the plague now, theoretically, uh, presumably, and now Stonehenge is knocked over. So mutants are out there causing serious destruction. Yep. Um, and so the action shifts to Stonehenge. Uh, Rogue is really trying, not so much trying to track down Apocalypse, she's trying to find uh, Archangel. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's the, the mission Professor X gave her. And it's at this point I'm, I sort of uh, feel obligated to mention that Apocalypse blasts Rogue and her jacket disintegrates. And it's the famous scene of Rogue, like, splayed out on the ground with her butt showing. <laughs> Why do you feel obligated to mention that? I don't know, because it's, everyone on the internet has this image out there uh-huh. of Rogue. Like, it, uh, I mean, she still has clothes on. Yeah, she does, but... It's, it's just very, like, voluptuously drawn. Right. But it's because tight. of, like, the angle, like... Yeah. Uh, it's just very sexually provocative. And if you were a 10-year-old boy at the time, as I was, it w- you remember that scene forever. And no one, and apparently the internet has not forgotten it either. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the only reason I'm bringing it up. It's just... <laughs> I'm embarrassed to bring it up, but it's just worth noting. Um, and you'll know what I'm talking about if you watch this episode. So, but let, moving on from that, uh, there's another fight at Stonehenge, uh, and the four horsemen are pretty easily defeated this time by the X-Men. And it, to me, it just shows that, like, the X-Men have all this training, they're, they're really, they have, they believe in their cause way more than these brainwashed apocalypse mutants do, and, uh, the four horsemen stink compared to the X-Men mm-hmm. in terms of fighting. And Apocalypse is really surprised by this. He's like, what? I thought you guys... I made you guys to be awesome, and you're just as weak as everyone else. Yeah. And he's so flummoxed by it that he just runs away. Right. And it's weird because he's got so much power, he could just crush the X-Men with his foot if he wanted to. But he doesn't even bother fighting them. Yeah, I kind of... I don't know. I don't really understand that, but maybe he just feels like they're totally inconsequential but like yeah. amidst the fighting rogue decides like she's got to do something mm-hmm. about this she's got to really like take them down a notch so she flies up behind archangel mm-hmm. and like with her bare hands uh, absorbs his, absorbs some his of his energy or whatever yeah and she turns blue in the face yeah, for a little for- <laughs> bit but it like magically sucks the evil out of him yeah. and like then he's in like a normal person yeah. again he keeps the metal wings yeah he's redeemed cool. yeah but he keeps a blue face, right? And he says something like, "Oh, you know, I hope you're strong enough to to handle this evil." Right? But yeah. she seems totally normal. Yeah, <laughs> she like, yeah. the, you know, she's like, "Oh, the evil's inside me now." But like the way she's like talking and acting, she's fine. Is like one hundred percent normal. For it does. Her. It does come back in future episodes. We see the consequences of Rogue having absorbed Archangel's like life energy or something. Uh-huh. So it's not. They haven't really closed the chapter on that book. Okay. But it is interesting, and they have a bond now. Anyone ro- any pa- anyone who ab- Rogue absorbs, mm-hmm. she gets some like kind of like a, b- a bond with them some way, hmm. uh, and that'll be explored more too in a future episode. Um, it's actually these episodes are nice because they've really built up Rogue's character a bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, they're really explaining who this woman is. She's very interesting. She's got a really sad, tragic story herself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in this episode too, we see her get sexually harassed by Gambit again. There's this cute little scene where they're all playing pool in the X Mansion. It's like Jean Grey, Rogue, and Gambit and Storm all hanging out, and. Uh, Gambit says something. He's like, maybe the winner of this game gets a kiss from the loser, huh? <laughs> and Rogue is just, again, she's just, like, really hurt 
by these come-ons from him. Yeah. She doesn't even know how to react, and Jean Grey kind of sticks up for her, and she embarrasses Gambit somehow with his pool shot. Uh-huh. And then Storm 2 also kind of, like, like slams Gambit in a, in a stupid, corny joke yeah. as well. Um, so, I mean, the women are sticking up for Rogue, but, you know, Rogue's, like, it, it's hard for her to deal with this Gambit guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Anyway, cut back to Stonehenge. Apocalypse escapes. He destroys... This is where Stonehenge is destroyed. Because his, like, interstellar spacecraft that he keeps... <laughs> <laughs> under Stonehenge. Yeah, under Stonehenge. emerges from the ground and blasts off into the sky and disappears in, like, red lightning as if it's going into hyperspace. And that's really cool. Uh-huh. And that, you know... And, and to, to get a little geeky, that points to a, a little bit of Apocalypse's backstory. He... It's not that just he's a mutant. His suit comes from these beings known as the Celestials, which are the super ancient, like, highly advanced technological race in the Marvel Universe. And I think the backstory is something like they, the spaceship crashed with Celestial technology and Apocalypse in ancient Egypt days found it and he put on the suit or maybe they gave him the suit. I'm not quite sure. But he's got, he's powered by technology from space gods, more mm-hmm. or less. And, and, that's, and that's basically where the episode ends. So Apocalypse hightails it. <laughs> into outer space, um, which is very fortunate, not only for the X-Men, who he could have easily killed, but the world at large, yeah. who just in, like, 24 hours, Apocalypse shows how he could just destroy the world if he wanted to. Right. But it, it's kind of weird. He's, like, real prissy about it. It's like if the world isn't destroyed exactly as the way he wants it, he, like, has to go into hiding and reformulate a whole new plan. Right. He, he doesn't just take it upon himself. He wants, like, people to do his bidding, even though he could easily do it, you know? He could just—he could literally turn into the size of Godzilla and just stomp over New York City if he wanted to, yeah. and just kill everyone. And you know, it doesn't look like he needs to eat or drink anything either. So it's not like he'd run out of energy. So <laughs> I don't know. It's just so to be continued with Apocalypse, right? <laughs> I guess. Um, any other thoughts on this? I, I mean, I think this is a great episode. It's just the the themes are just so heavy. Like they're heavy handed, but in this really. And they just way. really like packed a lot into this episode. Yeah. Like it, it was you know the standard episode length. What is it like twenty minutes or something? But yeah. like it really felt like a lot of things were revealed. It was very and, well um, written. I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed. Like I don't, I don't understand what the lesson for children is in this episode because the things Apocalypse says they're so demented. But they're not, like, demented in a cartoony way. They're demented in this, like, way that really touches on, like, biblical themes, philosophical themes, themes about just, like, madness, Mm -hmm. but, like, madness in a true way where if you were, like, totally filled with power, how would that corrupt your mind? Mm -hmm. And for him, it's not like – he's very organized with his thinking. It's not like he's off on some tangent of lunacy. He's, like – he's got, like, a a viewpoint – and he's he wants to uh, act it out on the world stage. Yeah, and th- that's like that's like incredible stuff for <laughs> like you said a twenty minute episode where we have a scene where they're playing pool at one point. Right. <laughs> so uh, this is like just one of the greatest episodes of the show, in my opinion, because of all that. They just they lay out and, and they pick up they pick up these themes in future episodes. Mm-hmm. Apoc- Apocalypse comes back. He he continues talking about this stuff. His plan. Uh, evolves to get even more deadly and more insane mm-hmm. and even more abstract in an in a awesome cosmic and psychedelic way, too. I mean, th- a lot of the stuff happens in season four, so we're not even going to get a chance to see it all play out yet. Um, and, but 
it's like so the show I think is really hitting its stride right now. Yeah, and it, it's going to continue with the next episode, Days of Future Past Part One, mm-hmm. which is a total classic. A classic two-part episode. Um, so you have to come back, uh, Yeah, everyone. I'm really excited for yeah. these next couple episodes. Yes. Um, they're going to be really good. Uh, it's like, and if you think the show isn't depressing yet with the destruction of the Eiffel Tower and Stonehenge, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> Things are going to get a whole lot bleaker. <laughs> so uh, that's all I've got today for the X-Men Test podcast. Reminder to follow us on Twitter, at Willie Simpson. You can follow me. Uh Follow us on Facebook, the X-Men Task Podcast. Just search us out. We're a Facebook group. Uh, just join and we'll add you. Uh, rate us five stars on iTunes. Um, rest, nice review. That'd be nice. Uh, share it with your friends. Uh, let everyone know. And um, that's it for tonight. So I just want to say good night. Good night. <laughs>